Hello and welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. My name is Eric Patino, and this and guy I'm is Conrad Toll. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so welcome to the show today. Uh, we we kind of have an awesome uh, episode here for you because Conrad is going to be talking about assassins, and uh, I didn't know too much about assassins other than you know, do does the Italian mob count? Because yes. uh, yeah, because they kind of brought it back, didn't they? Because they died off for a while. What assassins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I man, well, I, I don't know. Assassins have always been a thing, and will probably always be a thing. Really? Well, you got a story about, uh, I believe, a particular assassin, or maybe a couple of assassins, and uh, my research has led me to something called the Hash Hashins. If, if I'm Hashins? saying that, the Hash Hashins. Have you heard about these uh, this organi- organization before? I've heard of Hessians, the, the troops from Prussia. From where? Prussia. Prussia. Yeah. No, these are the Hashashians, the the original assassins, and uh, th- that got started over in, in Persia, Syria, and Turkey. Okay. Woo, got to had I had to take a drink there. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I won't drink so much water this time, <laughs> at least during the podcast, but. Yeah, my research led me to something called the Hashashians, and they're apparently, this is apparently where the assassins uh, kind of got, I don't know if they got started this way or if they got popular, but this was around 11th century. And uh, yeah, like I said, first got started in Persia and Syria and Turkey, and then eventually it kind of spread to the rest of the Middle East. And uh, the whole purpose of this was to take down political and financial rivals. Mm-hmm. And uh, political and financial rivals in, uh, around the mid-12th uh, century. In the modern world, the word assassin denotes like a mysterious figure in the shadows, you know, hell-bent on, on murder for hire, essentially. That's what we think of assassins today. Um but, you know, amazingly enough, that that really hasn't changed too much since the 11th and 12th century when uh, the assassins of Persia stuck fear and, and daggers into the hearts of the region's political and religious leaders. So the origin of the word Hassassians, <laughs> I hope I'm saying that right. Every time I see it, I think of the word hash browns. <laughs> uh, nobody knows with certainty where the name Hashashans comes from. Uh, the most commonly repeated theory holds that the word comes from an Arabic word hash she meaning hashi user uh, users. Um, what users? Hash ha- users? Hash. She users. A H A S H I S H. Hashi users. Yeah, hashi. Hashi users. I don't, I don't know what hashi users is, but, uh, apparently they are, uh, they were, um, followers of Sabbath committed, followers of Sabbath that committed their political murders while under the influence of drugs. Okay. Huh. Yes. Okay. I wonder if <clears throat> Hessians come from something similar because uh, the Hessians who fought in the American Revolution uh-huh. <clears throat> were hired by the English, but they were uh, German um, German soldiers that the Germanic states of um, – uh, put up for, so, so, you know, the German, uh, nation had not been unified, I think, at that time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, some of the, the states put, um, armies up for hire, I suppose. Uh-huh. So it was like a whole army. You would buy a whole army together. 
well, you wouldn't buy. I guess you'd rent it, lease it. I don't know how that all works. <laughs> and then, um, so it was kind of like a a king raises an army and then rents it out for. Oh, I'm guessing a price which is more than what it costs to uh, to pay to keep an army. I guess, or maybe they just want their armies to become skilled, and the only way sure. to keep their army always battle yeah. um, battle tested is to constantly be sending it to wars that you actually have no interest in Mm -hmm. i guess (laughs) so i wonder if that's similar because it sounds very similar yeah i just wonder if yeah because uh from what i can find um assassinations in the in the uh in ancient times were mostly linked with shifting of power um, right when they tried to take over right a, a, a uh, you know, a country or whatnot, which is what what they were trying, what these folks you're talking about are trying to do. Yes. And generally, um, there would be like a coup or something uh, that would be accompanied with it. That's basically what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think it's interesting that they they uh, did this while they were on drugs. But I I I, I don't know what hashi hashi yeah hashi user. I don't know what hashi is. I don't know what kind of drug that is. Huh. I'm sure it's some kind of psychedelic. Um, I bet it's probably not as strong as, um, you know, uh, what, what do they call them? Synthetic drugs that sure. are made these days. So you probably aren't as completely zonked out as you, you would. Right. If people think of as now, nowadays, like even. I would assume this, like, this kind of drug probably kind of enhanced their senses if they're, if they're out supposed to, you know, commit these political murders and, and rivals and stuff like that, I would assume, because you wouldn't want your assassins to be completely zoned out. So I found, uh, I think, is it Haddish? How do you spell it? It's, um, what, the drug? Yeah. So it is H-A-S-H-I-S-H. Okay. So, yeah, it's a, it's a type of marijuana, actually. <laughs> hey man, I'm gonna kill you right now. <laughs> you better drop the political run, man. Well, <laughs> do keep in mind that um, marijuana is not uh, the, that is that we as we know it. Is <laughs> yeah, I know. Gem- genetically modified. I, I'm just, so it's, I'm it's just spoken not from. at all what they had way back in the. I'm uh, gonna take a nap, and when I'm done, man, I'm coming after you. Uh, <laughs> Probably not yeah, at all. It, like it, that. Uh, see. Bum, bum, bum. Well, I suppose that makes sense because a hash bar in like Amsterdam is a weed mm-hmm. bar. So I guess I should have seen that. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I didn't th- because this was, you know, in the 12th century and these were uh, like um, Middle Eastern assassins. I didn't, I didn't think it would be something like that. But uh, let's see. Weed I'm isn't a hand drug, isn't it? People supposedly feel good after smoking a joint and they can do all kinds of crazy things. Ah. Uh, I, I I've never heard. I of mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I would not. I've never heard of somebody associating marijuana with anything ooh, that someone would consider being a enhancing enhancing. property. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. The thing, I because okay, so I remember this guy from high school who used to smoke weed, and he would you know swear up and down like, "Oh man," because he was on the the track. What is it mm-hmm. called? Track and field or whatever, where you run around. Yeah. 
I think it, it's, yeah, he, so I just he, heard it referred to as track. Okay, so he was on the track team, and he would run and run. He was like, you know what? You know what I do that makes me so good? I smoke weed every day. <laughs> so, um, hmm. yeah, there's been a couple of people that have told me that smoking weed enhances their abilities to do things. Uh, of course, mostly, right? I would feel like the majority of weed smokers you would you would know or, or think of would be like you know kind of like the lazy guy or gal uh, smoking a joint and then falling asleep on the couch with a, a pint of ice cream or something. <laughs> that that's that's kind of what it is today, I, I suppose. Yeah, I, I can't find anything in googling headish, also known as hash, as being uh, um, having any military use. <laughs> <laughs> There was a there was a military study on weed the fifties etymology. Um, but however, what, whatever the case, you know, uh, the the etymology may have well risen before the name itself as a creative attempt to explain its origins. Um, so, um, uh-huh. what this group? Uh, how would they go about? Like, what would what would their? I don't know. What's an example of how they would go about their attacks and all of that sort of thing? Like. Was it a swarming of the gate sort of a thing where there'd be lots of them or was it more cloak and dagger or Uh, a bit of cloak and dagger? So there was a there was a guy who wanted to who's going to rise to become a political leader, like a big political leader. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oddly enough, his name was Conrad. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember Conrad the who or, you know, Conrad or whatever. But his name was Conrad and he was this big rising political leader and what they did was what they did was uh the leader of the assassin sent one of his best assassins over there to send him um, a letter right uh to scare him off he didn't he didn't want to completely get rid of him he just wanted to scare him off so that he wouldn't be contested for leadership so he sent his assassin over in the middle of the night when this conrad fellow was sleeping and what what the assassin did was he grabbed his dagger he grabbed the letter and he pinned it to the cushion next to conrad so when he woke up in the morning he saw that there was this uh, dagger with this letter uh it didn't really say what the letter said but obviously it worked because the next day he stepped down from the leadership he he no longer accepted whatever he was gonna do. So right, it was it was a lot of scaring your rivals, yeah. Uh, um, before even attempting to murder them, right? Murder wasn't actually what they set out to do. It was not the main purpose of their assassination group. It was more to like get rid of rivals. Uh huh. Yeah, and just maybe gain influence and a little right, bit of right. notoriety and fear and that sort of thing. Right. So it was a lot of that. Uh, at the early start, and there's actually a, <laughs> they actually had a run in with Genghis Khan. Huh. Uh, pretty funny. Um, let's see. Let me let me skip down to the Genghis part. So, uh, the the advance of the Mongols. So in 1219, the ruler of I can't even pronounce that is what is now I can't even pronounce that either. Uzbekistan. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it made a huge mistake. He had a group of mongrel traders murdered in his city. Genghis oh, yeah, Khan yeah, yeah. was furious that. at this uh, and led his army into Central Asia to push Kawarzin. Kawarzin? 
Maybe. I don't know. But uh, the leader of the yeah, assassins is, uh... pledged loyalty to the Mongols at that time by 1237, and the Mongols had conquered most of Central Asia. All of Persia had fallen except for the strongholds of the assassins, perhaps as many as a hundred mountain fortresses. Yeah, so this would have been um, when um, Genghis Khan invaded the uh, kind of like what would be the modern day Pakistan, Iran area. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. guessing that these Mongols would be in the uh, Afghanistan like area. Sorry, I had to take a bite of my granola bar. Um, so the assassins had enjoyed a relatively free hand in the region between the Mongols uh, 1219 conquests in the 1250s, so the Mongols were uh, focusing elsewhere and ruled lightly. However, Genghis Khan's grandson, Mankai Khan, grew determined to conquer the Islamic lands by taking Baghdad. Which so, is yeah. in uh, Iraq, so a little further east. So were they in the, the area where near Baghdad? Uh, yeah, they, they were in, they, I think they were actually in Baghdad. I see. And so, yeah. And how did they do against uh, Genghis Khan's uh, grandson? Not well. <laughs> uh, not well. Uh, so, let me finish the uh, the uh, the paragraph here. So, fearful of his renewed interest in his region, the leader, the assassin leader sent a team to kill Mankai uh, Khan. I think I'm saying that right. Is it Mankai? M- oh, I'm not sure. M-O-N-G-K-E? Sounds like Mankai. Uh, they were supposed to uh, pretend to offer submission to the Mongol, uh, Kong, and then stab him. So it was going to be, a, a, you know, kind of a trickery thing. Uh-huh. But uh, Mankai, his guards suspected that there was going to be a, a treachery and turned the assassins away. But the damage was done because Mankai was determined to end the threat of the assassins once and for all. So Mankai, uh, Mankai Kong's brother, Hulagu... <laughs> Set out uh, to uh, besiege the the assassins in their primary fortress, where the sect leader who, uh, who ordered the attack on Mankai had been killed by his own followers. And so, yeah, they they kind of took over, and then they they took over the fortress, and they actually they actually killed all the assassins. Ah. So this was kind of this is why I said they kind of died out for a while. At least this. Order of Assassins. Uh, they got their hand. They got they got defeated by uh, Genghis Khan and his sons and his sons. So it, it was pretty interesting. Apparently, also, uh, I, I wanted to look for more research on this, but I could not find it anywhere. I think if I order a couple of books, I could probably find out. But there was an Assassin's Library that was destroyed in one of their fortresses in the year 1256. And that's so interesting to me because most documentation of their existence and and kind of uh, like a list of their enemies and stuff like that that was documented mostly survived from their enemies uh, and and second to third hand uh, European accounts. So it's pretty interesting. They they kind of had they kind of had their whole organization and it just got destroyed, lost in history forever, sort of a thing. And that's why there's not too much information about the order of the Hassassins, the first assassins uh, organization in Persia. But uh, I thought it was a I thought it was a fun story to tell anyway. I know it was pretty short, but uh, yeah, I liked it. Huh. Huh. Wow. <laughs> so the funny thing is. 
they're very similar to a modern day group um, that existed until I think 1940 something. Uh, yeah, it was active from 1949 to 1941. Okay, not, 1929. <laughs> okay, very different. <laughs> 1929 to 1941. So most of the, the uh, what do you call that, Great Depression, uh, a little bit of the pro-ohibition era, um, and uh, all the way until about the beginning of World War II uh, and into World War II a little bit. Um, and that organization is called Murder Incorporated. Oh, this is what you were telling me. If I have, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what is it? So it was an organized uh, crime group that they were assassins for hire, pretty much. Uh, they were gangsters in New York City who, for uh, a price of about four thousand dollars, and this is in the forties, mm. um, they they would. It's um, a lot of money. Yeah. And the they would um, go out and uh, do assassinations for uh, organizations all over the the uh, I guess probably the world, but mostly across the United States. Mm-hmm. And it does actually have quite a tie to the uh, Italian Sicilians. <laughs> and so the organization would work. Um, they would hire out their killers. The killers would go out, complete the job. If they mm-hmm. were caught, the organization would have had the best lawyers on hand. So they really were a, a just a company that hired out assassinations, and but they weren't a, a an actual. Uh, you you wouldn't find this business registered with the city. Sure, sure. <laughs> they didn't pay taxes or do that sort of thing. They were underground. They were a. Were they kind of like a syndicate? They were a business in everything but legality. (laughs) Right. But they had, you know, they probably even had like a marketing and PR um, group. Can you imagine if like an assassination group or like the Italian mob like took out airtime for for TV ads? (laughs) Hey, you, I know what you're thinking. Man, that neighbor is so annoying. If only I could take him out. Well, (laughs) Well, no, you can't. (laughs) 1-800-YOUR-ITALIAN-MOB can get the job for you done in just under an hour. Maybe you, you don't have... Maybe what you you got is a, a fella who hasn't paid his rent. We can do that. Fella haven't paid his rent. Uh, not his rent. His, um, he hasn't paid his gambling debts. Also can do that. Maybe you have a, a prosecutor in your neighborhood who he's just picking up and <laughs> nabbing too many of your boys. We can take care of him too. <laughs> Or even if you just went to the grocery store and a guy looked at your wife and you just thought, man, I'm going to get you. Well, now you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Uh, so they had um, quite a few. Um, the, the funny thing about these the assassins that worked for them is they're not the big names that you would recognize. And the, and the fellow who ran the organization would also not be one of those um, – uh, names that you'd recognize. Uh, his name is Harry uh, Pittsburgh Philly Straws, or <laughs> just Harry Straws. You know, you know, it's his nickname, Pittsburgh Phil. Was he Italian? Because uh, I know Italians usually have like weird nicknames in the. Mob. I don't. I don't know. I think they all have. Um, like Jimmy Two Shoes or whatever. Yeah, I, I think everyone in the in the in the the gangs had strange names, but 
Straws was the organizer, I believe. Um, no, no, no. He was just uh, he was just the, um, the 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 top man. He was the the top employee. Uh, the, oh, okay. the the leader's name was Seagull, a Bugsby Seagull. Flock of seagulls. <laughs> but this was all <laughs> underground, right? Yeah. So and, like, and so it like was the, uh, housed out of New York. So did they like run it out of a like a tr- like a church that was like a fake church? <laughs> <laughs> and the leader was like the priest or something. I don't know. Um, I actually don't know. But yeah, Siegel, um, Bugsy Siegel, uh, he actually had a different group right before that. And it was called Bugsby and something else. Huh. And um, I always find it fascinating with assassins or like Italian mob, how they come up with these elaborate nicknames and stuff like that. The Bugs and Mayor Mob. Bugs and Mayor Mob. Yeah, that, and then it was disbanded, and then he went on to form uh, Murder Incorporated. <laughs> sounds like a rap group. Um, yeah, so it, it actually sounds a little bit kind of like um, them, uh, the um, the assassins you were talking about before. Uh, slightly different, as there was more of them out for hire, but it's kind of like you went from them to the Hessians to now Murder Incorporated. You know, so it almost sounds like uh, the 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 intent of what an assassin is kind of almost like leveled up throughout the years. Like it just got well. The, the whole goal still remains the same, and I wouldn't say that it actually. Yeah, gets, yeah, it remains the same, but like it it got more brutal as as like I don't know the centuries went on. I I don't know. It's it's all about um, fear. I think. Is their 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 thing? They they want people to. They're not interested in killing. They're not interested in actually doing things through brute force. They're just interested in getting their name out there and letting people know you don't mess with us and you you follow our rules. So and, and if you look through history, like th- that's the main reason that I was really interested in assassins is just looking how things are done. And it's, it's really weird because a lot of this stuff it plays out just like you would see in the movies. <laughs> You right. know, a lot of it. And you would you would think of all the things to be portrayed by Hollywood, the one thing that wouldn't be accurate would be assassins, right? Mm-hmm. But it kind of is. Um, uh, probably not something like Assassin's Creed probably wouldn't be <laughs> too awfully accurate, but um, like the gangster movies where it's just – it's not really – it has – somewhat of a, a less of a, a professional thing to it but then also you know you know you look at how how many assassinations go wrong in movies and go right, sideways right. And that sort of thing so it you're, ta- you're talking different. about like the gritty life aspect to an assassin yeah yeah and how it's it's not like uh, there's rules and there's not like there's an honor code and that sort of thing. It's just a, a fella who's in some ways, some of them are kind of untrained and they just go at it and hope to get lucky, you know? Well, there's like, I find there's always one rule uh, to, to any like assassin or organization like that. And that's mm-hmm. never bite the hand that feeds you, right? Yeah, Cause they generally... Because, you know, th- there's been a ton of movies where assassins will kind of go their own way after learning about uh, th- the hit that they got, right? And they're like, well, this person hasn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Why am I Why am I killing them? And then they'll t- 
turn on their organization or they'll turn on the hit and then, you know, the guy that, you know, they work for or used to work for will send an assassin to kill them too. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, there, there is no rule, but there's also like never betray your own kind. Well, take for instance, um, Bugsby, uh, the guy, uh, he was killed, uh, the guy in charge of Murder Incorporated. After it fell apart in 41, he was in, assassinated in 47. So, uh, and then, um, uh, what happened to, to Strauss, Harry Strauss? Like a lot of them end up getting killed or betrayed by um, somebody in their own group. So the the rule is like you don't you don't um, yeah you don't bite the hand that feeds you because it's it's you both need each other right and one of you goes down you both go down yeah I'm sure it's a very very rough life yeah uh, Harry Straws was electrocuted by Jeez. uh uh well. Executed by electrocution. Yeah. Did they? Does it say what for? Like, what did he do? Uh, murder. (laughs) But like, did he? Did he murder one of his own? Or uh, no. Uh, someone in his group um uh got caught, and then that person, you know, entered a plea deal where they would uh, testify against other people. And that's that's what helped bring down uh, the group because he was electric. He was caught the year before the end of uh, Murder Incorporated, and then uh, was um, executed the next year. Oh, uh, so was he executed in like prison or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the um, the electric chair that he was executed in is a famous one from uh, the Sing Sing Correction Facility. Never heard of it. Yeah. Apparently, it's one of the most famous electric chairs. <laughs> like, what else? Who else did that chair kill? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Smokey and the Bandits? Nah, they were good guys. Were they good guys? I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I've I, never seen Smokey and the Bandit, actually. Um, that's interesting, though. That's cool. So, the, the thing that is interesting about assassins is once you, like, you read about how, like, all these assassinations go down, there starts to be, like, a something that you'll see, like, uh, when they assassinate kings or that sort of thing, the assassin is generally known, right? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. Like, if you read most of these assassinations, um, like, uh, you're reading about, uh, I don't know, Harry Straws and that sort of thing. He uh, goes after a bunch of criminals, low-down fellas, and he kills over a few hundred people. Jeez. Uh, but the the famous assassins, the ones that you know their names, those are the ones who uh, go after, you know, like presidents and that sort of thing. They, The ones who go after, you know, presidents, politicians, um, the higher-ups, those fellas generally get caught um, in the assassinations themselves. Yeah. It's very, it's very rare. Like the assassination of Julius Caesar. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, the, the, um, the assassins were so well known. They ended up in Shakespeare's play, you know, <laughs> um, the assassination of Mahat, um, uh, Gandhi, uh, the assassination of, um, was he assassinated? I didn't know Gandhi was assassinated. Yeah. He's like, so freaking peaceful. <laughs> like who would want Gandhi assassinated? A lot of people. I suppose, yeah. 
um, he was a very influential political figure in India and India uh, was uh, at the time was in conjunction with uh, Pakistan and Pakistan and India have a long running um, rivalry and the Pakistanis that were because Pakistan and um, India were the same country, the same colony. You know, right. part of England, right, right, right. and when they were trying to become independent, which was what Gandhi's known for, is uh, pushing for independence um, for India. Um, him and the Pakistanians did not get along, and they they really hated each other. So there was a lot of Pakistan who did not like Gandhi, and then there was a lot of uh, English uh, Europeans who didn't like Gandhi. Gandhi had a ton of enemies. That's surprising. That honestly but, is surprising. Uh, 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 Nasser uh, Qatar, I think, uh, the Egyptian fellow who was assassinated on TV. Um, like his assassinate assassins were caught. Uh, like the assassins of most American presidents were caught. Um, Has there been a lot of assassinations on American presidents? Yeah, uh, there was the assassination uh, the attempt on um, Teddy Roosevelt. That one he got he was caught. There was an assassination mm-hmm. of Abraham Lincoln. That fellow Wilkes Booth got caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the assassination of. Uh, I think it was Arthur, President Arthur. He was caught. And then there's JFK. And well, well, Jay, well I mean, <laughs> JFK, I, but that's that's an iffy one because we don't know for sure if Lee yeah, Harvey Oswald actually did funny it. Thing. If all the assassinations that I've, I've read about, JFK is an outlier, which means yeah. that there's probably some things that don't quite meet the eye there. So No, definitely not. I might say that JFK's assassination was the only successful assassination that I've ever heard of. That we don't know who actually did. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. <clears throat> but I, I'm almost 100% positive that Jack Ruby was... Um, Absolutely. So, I, that that's one guy. I guess you could say he was caught. Like, he's, he, he was in on it, for sure. Um, so was LBJ. Um, I feel like he was on it. There was a uh, failed assassination on um, FDR. That guy was caught. Oh, was there? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he was ass- tr- attempted. Yeah. There was a um, communist who tried to assassinate FDR. What about fake FDR? Huh? Who's fake FDR? The guy that took his name so he could be famous. Uh, you were telling me about him. He married He married into the family know, and no. took the last There's name. There's Teddy Roosevelt. There's Teddy Roosevelt. Uh-huh. And then the fellow who married into Teddy Roosevelt's family was FDR. Oh, I thought I thought it was someone so else both, that got into that. Oh, no, uh, I think Teddy Roosevelt, um, that uh, Theodore Roosevelt married like some someone in Teddy Roosevelt's family. I, I think that's how it went. <laughs> it, it was a while since he told me, so I, I don't quite remember. I think it was when you were telling me he got shot and still delivered a speech. Uh, <laughs> that was that was Teddy Roosevelt. Who yeah. did that. Yeah. That was his that was the uh, assassination attempt that failed. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt was the niece of Theodore Roosevelt. That's the one that the FDR married. Yeah. And uh, he married her because I think for political um political gain. That's my opinion. It's like when Hillary married Bill. Yeah, uh, because Theodore Roosevelt was a, a well-liked president, and so to yeah. run the Roosevelt name probably was a, a big deal. Absolutely. Okay. 
Um, interesting. Assassins. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd say that there's two different types of assassins. There's the assassins that go after the big fish and the assassins that go after the small fish. Mm-hmm. And if you go after the small fish, uh, you're less likely to get um, caught. And that's where you'll have the fellas like Harry Straws who racks up hundreds of kills. But, you know, there's a, a, another assassin that uh, I'd like to tell tell you about, Eric, that has over 500 assassins. Jesus. Yes, tell me about this guy. All right. This guy is a Brazilian assassin. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, he is the uh, most successful assassin in all of history that I've ever run across. And his name is... Julio Santana, or at least that's the name that he gave the reporter who wrote a book for him. Okay. Uh, Julio Santana is still alive. Um, I don't know exactly when he was born. I think it was in the seventies. Okay. Uh, so he's he's not a he's not quite an old man yet. Uh, or is well, he? Like maybe he was born in seventies. So. Uh, um. Okay, no, he started his um, he started his career in uh, nineteen eighty eight. I think he was seventeen at the time. Yeah, he just turned Jeez. seventeen. So he would have been born <clears throat> in um, nineteen seventy one. So in nineteen eighty eight, <clears throat> he was uh, on his first job. Okay, did he work for an organization or was yes, he just like freelance? Sort of. Um, he, um, the book that I got most of my information from is called The Name of Death. And, um, his uncle was the fellow who got him into, uh, the job as a hitman. His uncle was a military, uh, police officer, I think. Uh, they have a, a special group in Brazil, um, that they're not quite police. They're not quite military. I, I forget exactly what they're called. Uh, but you'll see fellows in military uniform who are police officers in Brazil. Uh, I, I think any Brazilian would know who, who I'm talking about, but I don't know a whole lot about this group. But they're they're police, but they're also military. Okay. I, I think his uncle was one of these uh, fellows, but he had an interesting side job where he would uh, take a, a couple extra dollars on the side and he would um, – he would do hits and nobody knew about that uh, in his mm-hmm. family. Uh, uh, Julio didn't know about that um, until just like a few days, like I think the the day before he made his first kill. Mm-hmm. His uncle and him, um, he, he was out with his uncle. His, his uncle had come in town and he was staying at the house and they were having a, a fun time and his uncle gets it, it comes down with a fever while staying with him and he waits until um, Julio is in the room with him and Julio is his favorite nephew and <laughs> okay. he says Julio I need to tell you something you can't tell anyone else I have been I am a uh, assassin and I've been hired to murder uh, the the fishermen across the um, across town mm-hmm. and I am now really ill and I can't do that and so Julio was at first kind of ex- uh, happy to hear that his uncle was not actually going to go through with this until his uncle told him I'm not going to do it you're gonna you're do gonna it, do it. <laughs> 
So, um, the fishermen across the town had done some terrible things and had evaded the law. Um, in fact, the, there was hardly any law to speak of in the place that they lived because they were in the, the back part of Brazil along the Amazon and there wasn't any, uh, electricity or running water, uh, in this place in the mm. 19, 1988. <laughs> so, mm. um, he, he, they, they didn't have cars in this place. This is, you know, pretty remote. And so there was hardly any law to speak of. And he had been hired to kill this, uh, fisherman. Um, <laughs> his uncle, um, had to convince him that he wasn't going to go to hell for um, killing this man. And they were they're both devout Catholics, or at least um, Julio was, I think, was more of a devout Catholic than his uncle. Mm-hmm. And so taking up this job was quite a difficult thing for him. And I would say that he I think most Catholics would agree that Julio's grasp on Catholic doctrine was not the greatest. <laughs> um his belief was that if he prayed the lord's prayer 10 times and um said 20 hail marys or the other way around that his sins would be forgiven okay that's what his uncle told him and he said are you sure that works and he's like yes of course it does i know that it works because <laughs> that's what i do so <laughs> right right okay um, so he finds himself the next day Sitting along the riverbank, waiting for the fisherman to come by with his hunting rifle. Um, and thus became, uh, so thus started his, um, very long and very troubled, um, uh-huh. career. Right. Uh, wow. His, uh, after that, he, his uncle, um, I, I guess gave him something slightly more of a, um, slightly more of a legal job after that. He went, uh, he had a friend who was in the military whose job it was to hunt down communists in the hidden parts of the rainforest mm-hmm. and since julio was from some of the more remote places in the rainforest and Pretty was familiar with the area and it was a very good hunter not familiar with the area but familiar with jungle in general um they were looking for folks like him to lead soldiers and to help uh keep the troops moving and then um, maybe even forage for them huh. while they were hunting for communists. Interesting. And they paid fairly well. I think it was like... And this was a legit job? Yeah. So it was like <laughs> five five bucks a day or something like that. Five, five Brazilian dollars. I forget exactly how much he got paid, but it was significant for him. Maybe it was not as great as... I was going to say, is that good? <laughs> five dollars a day? And... um. So uh, he went out and he did a little bit of um, commie hunting and they did actually catch a a communist uh, on his first mission and they tortured the communist, not him. He he did not. um, He just he was not at all um, thrilled over the prospect of torturing the captive. Uh So. It was kind of interesting because if you read the book, it's his life is like this little downward swirl where his uncle really had to um, 
pressure him into doing this first killing. And he did that knowing that the person that he was killing was a terrible person that probably needed to die. <laughs> um, but, you know, it wasn't right. But, you know, he was at this thing of, well, if I don't do it, nothing will happen. This guy won't get prosecuted. But it's not the right thing to do. So, but, but it's not the right thing to do. But then again, I can just pray, right? And then that makes it all right. But then, like, so he has this terrible conflict and he doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it. And then, because if he doesn't do it, then his uncle, who's already taken the money, says that he would be hunted down and killed for not killing, carrying through with the contract, which was probably just something his uncle told him to get him to do it was probably wasn't true because the person who probably. was hiring him did not have the ability to kill regardless because if they did, they wouldn't be hiring a killer um so it was probably just like a story so on one hand it's if i don't do it then my uncle dies and if i do do it then i'm killing a bad person you know and so and this next one well you know it's legal the government's telling you you're allowed to go and hunt down these people and after doing a bit of commie hunting um he was um the job came to an end and he made a significant amount of money and he went home <laughs> and, but having been in the military there was a ton of terrible things that he was forced to do um uh he wasn't forced to actually torture people but he was forced to like hold people while they were being tortured so he was still part of the act yeah there, there, he was still part of it, but he wasn't like the worst part of it. And then, like, <clears> he was told to do it, and he was paid to do it, and he didn't know that's what that would. That's but what he, he but, but into, he still but, feels guilty for doing yeah. his part, right? Yeah. And then later in the military, like, the, there's a lot of corrupt folks that was in the military, especially his group, that were sent on these missions, and they would execute their prisoners in their cells. They would, they, you know, they would literally beat people to death and that sort of thing. And he was part of that. And it, it's, it's a thing where every job that he would do, it was like this slow erosion of his morals. But then, like, he still knew that it was wrong. And, like, his conscience still haunted him. But then like, he kept doing it. And then it, it's this interesting book as it goes on. Um, and he killed a few communists later on. Uh, they got in a gunfight when they uh, they came across a few different communists who were uh, having this uh, meeting and they disrupted the meeting and gunfire broke out and he shot um, I, I think two maybe maybe just one I know that at least one of them died anyway mm -hmm. and he felt kind of bad about that but not so bad about that but then you know he thought he that that's not as bad as murder and not as bad as torture right. <clears throat> Sure. And it's not murder either. These are people who are out to uh, do a government coup and that sort of a thing. <laughs> so he's like, well, wait a minute, but I'm killing. But that's better than torture, right? Morally. But then is then killing not so bad? And then he's just a 17-year-old kid who's never actually gone through any <laughs> this sort of uh, mm -hmm. moral quandaries <laughs> before. And then he gets back to his village and his uncle's like, I have some more jobs for you. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's how his career started. And he went on to assassinate politicians, um, cheating spouses, sure. uh, people uh, who were behind on uh, payments to loan sharks, people who stole from 
he killed a lot of miners, not miners as in like under the age of 18, but miners as people who go into the ground and mine. Mm-hmm. Coal um, miners. Uh, coal miners, gold miners. There's a lot of different miners in uh, <coughs> sure. Brazil. It is quite interesting to hear that there's an assassin who has this moral dilemma about his his mm-hmm. his job, right? Because mm-hmm. it is his job because his uncle kind of forced them into it. Did did he ever did he ever get numb to that eventually, or did he just no. continue battling that? In fact, it got worse as it went really? on because he he developed these complex uh, arguments in his mind that what he was doing isn't wrong. Like he justified each and everything that he was doing, right? So he had a, a devil on his shoulder and an angel on the other one. Yeah, and he was justifying everything that he was doing. But then as what he was doing got a little more out of control sure. and he was doing more and more uh, less morally gray things and more into the definitely not um, not right things. <clears throat> like he, uh, one of the ones he was out uh, to kill a miner, a gold miner who was stealing gold uh, and not, you know. You go into the gold mine, you mine the gold, you put it into the bucket, and the gold goes away, and then you get your paid um, your salary. Mm-hmm. This gold miner would slip nuggets into his pockets. So he's pocketing a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And so he was hired to kill this particular miner, uh, even though it was illegal. And the gold miner was saying, I have to have something done because other people know about it. And if I don't have this guy killed, then, you know, it's going to be a sign that everybody can do it. So I've got to, you know, make a make a mark. And, you know, this is quite a bit down the slippery slope. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, uh, I guess, 15 years. No, probably not that much into his career, but it's a bit into his career. And okay. Like five to ten years. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably closer Somewhere to the ten there. year mark. Yeah. And he goes uh, and he gets a description of the um, the miner, and he goes looking for the guy, and he's asking around for the name. Uh, he's using the name, and he's uh, trying to f- find this guy. And uh, when he's he finally finds the guy and he takes him over to the edge of the mine at night. He he tracks the guy and he fight waits till he's alone and he's at the edge of the mine and he pulls a gun on him and walks him right up to the 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 the, the um the precipice uh, of the uh because it's a, a uh, what do you call it strip mine where they they don't tunnel down into the ground they dig straight down mm, okay. and, and then they have ladders they climb up anyway sure i know what you're talking about so they're right on the edge of it and he shoots him and the guy falls into the mine and then uh, he calls that job done well, then he goes to the fella that hired him and the guy who hires him, you know, it's two days later or whatnot. And that guy is furious, totally. And he's like, well, what's wrong with you? And he's like, you killed the wrong guy. <laughs> and so that one really weighed on his conscience because he killed somebody who wasn't even behind on payments or wasn't a thief or wasn't right, anything right. wrong with the guy. He killed the wrong guy. Huh. And so then he went and he killed the right guy. Yeah, that one. Interesting. So that one really weighed on his conscience. And there was, um, I think, another one that really stuck out in the book was um, the the job that he was on when he met his wife. (laughs) He was on a job to kill this guy. And he was tracking that guy to a bar and he was sitting in the same bar watching the fellow waiting for that guy to leave so we can follow him home and shoot him on the way back. Sure. And he uh, he's talking to this waitress there. 
And he's trying to have this conversation, but then he also doesn't want to be memorable in some right, ways. Right. He, wa- he wants to keep it low key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the uh, and one of his his rules that his conscience has imposed upon him is to never lie. He doesn't like lying. And <laughs> she asks him what his job is. And he, he tells her, well, um, I do all I'm, sorts of things. <laughs> I'm kind of like the police. And she goes, really? Um, and, and they're talking for a bit. And he's he's trying to like end the conversation. And she's like, you seem very distracted. And he's like, yeah, yeah um, it's it's my work. Things I think about. Like, well, what about your work is keeping you so distracted right now? And he's like, I don't think I should tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like side glancing over at this guy that he's supposed to be killing. Uh, wow. Yeah. That guy sounds uh, like the complete opposite of... <laughs> Like what you would normally think of a of like a like a gun yeah. for hire or something like that. And like I think it. that's one of the reasons why he was so successful is because he had um he like had a, these, he had a conscience. <laughs> yeah, conscious, but also he didn't get caught up in a lot of other crime. Because if you look at a lot the downfall of a lot of famous assassins and that sort of thing, the ones that really get caught up are like they have tons of other problems on the side. They have like drug addiction and they have gambling issues and that sort of thing. Sure, he didn't sure. Gamble. He didn't. He hardly even drank. He didn't like the taste of alcohol. His favorite drink was Coca Cola. In fact, <laughs> when he was in the military, that was what he loved the most. Um, and like all the other guys would be like, "Hey, you should drink beer, right?" And he's like, "I type beer. Your beer is nasty." <laughs> So they'd all be drinking beer and he'd have Coca-Cola and to him who grew up in the backwoods where they didn't have Coca-Cola and didn't even have money for Coca-Cola. That was a luxury. He goes to the town where it's like super cheap. It's almost as cheap as water. Uh-huh. We're way back where he's from. That thing was like $20 a bottle or something, you know? Jeez. Like $20 into like today's money. But I'm saying like it's really a luxury where right, he's right. from. Right, right, right. And in the town, it's super cheap. And then he goes to the town and he has more money than he's ever had in his whole life. Probably more money than his father's ever had in his whole life. And he can buy as much Coca-Cola as he wants. And it's like his favorite drink. And everybody's like, you should drink beer. And he's like, it's nasty. <laughs> I don't like it. I like to be, uh, I like to, so, uh, you know, have my head cleared. So it's kind of interesting that he's not at all like your your normal assassin. And I think that that's why he was able to get away with so many killings is he didn't get too caught up and full of himself or that sort of a thing. And he didn't get tangled with um, a lot of other, uh, mm-hmm. like he didn't do robberies. He wouldn't do anything but killing. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then even uh, then, what an honorable assassin. Yeah. That's so weird. Uh, but it, it's interesting when you read like how he would do his kills. Like at first he started with a rifle and then his uncle gave him a pistol and he discovered something. If you wear two shirts and a wide brimmed hat uh, and you and you make the assassination in a place that doesn't have security cameras, you can just walk right up to a guy in the middle of a crowd, shoot him three times hide the pistol and walk away and nobody will see and mostly nobody will even pay attention to you. They'll all be paying attention to the dead guy on the ground and they won't even know who shot him. And the ones who did see you shoot him won't do anything to you. They won't stop you. They won't even, they won't, they won't get near you. 
and you can just walk away. And then you take off the shirt and the hat and you throw it somewhere. And then if they tell, hey, the guy who shot him with a man wearing a brimmed hat and a you know a white shirt with blue stripes, you're you're away scot free. So he, a lot of his assassinations were done just like right in the middle of the street. <laughs> Um, Jeez. So he got married, right? Yeah, he got married. He had kids. And his wife kind of got confused. Like, you know. Did she ever find out what he did? Yes, she did. (laughs) And so, but that wasn't until after they were married. Right. And I think they even had a kid by the time she figured out what he was, what his job was. Did he have a son or a daughter? uh, I think he had both. I don't know which one was older. Was his daughter named Tanya? No. He, uh, so how did, how did she react to it? Was she, was she she furious? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, she was kind of she she was wondering like how exactly do you make as much money as you do and you're just a regular police officer that doesn't uh-huh. make sense uh, and then he told her the truth and she was she was you know furious and they she didn't was talk for like a, a few it's uh, all right or something. I say ten hail marys I'm good we're all right <laughs> yeah he said that he pretty much said it. Like, oh, look I I know like it's bad and all but like. You know, I, I and then and so when it comes to like the moral justification of all that, these things that he's been telling himself since he was, you know, a, a just a immature kid. Right. That he had when she's <laughs> hearing his logic and she's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's like, right. you're. It, something in the back of his head's like, you're right. I know it was, you know, I've been BSing myself the whole time, but I just don't, don't want to admit the truth to myself. Mm-hmm. Is what he's, he's going through in his head. Right. And so now the, the conscious is weighing on him even harder since his wife is leaning in on, on one side now. And the thing is, she's not, his, his wife was not like, I'm going to go report you to the police or anything like that. Right. In fact, one time he did get caught, she even comes and bribes the police officer who caught him to let him out of jail. And it works. Really? The only time that he was caught, he got out of jail by bribing, they, they bribed the police chief by giving him a motorcycle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So yeah. she, she never left him, huh? Nope. But she... She was did she, give him a proclamation she, at one she, point. Was she ever intimidated by him? Like, was she ever scared of him? No. Like, I have the feeling that he's not the intimidating type of person. Well, yeah, I guess that would be. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. And here's the thing. He never murdered anyone that he wanted to murder. The, he actually, at one point, the only time that he ever wanted to murder somebody was his uncle. Because his uncle, he discovered the reason why his uncle was so happy to get him new jobs was he was skimming off the top. I was going to say, was his uncle like stealing money from from all the hits? And for me and you, that would be like if you're getting paid, uh, let's say, $300,000 a year. To do assassinations, right? Okay. That's a lot of money to us. Sure. And we're yeah. like, whoa, that's pretty good. Uh-huh. And then one day you're talking to your client and he's like, yeah, you, you're a, and your client's like, you know, I expected the best for paying a million dollars. I expect that much from my um, employees. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you realize that your agent has been skimming more than half of what you've been paid 
off the top. Right. So what did what like it would be one thing if it'd be like, yeah, he, he's taking a quarter or something like that. Right. To sure. Do contact finders fee or whatever. And uh, to make sure that, you know, nothing gets traced back to you to make sure that everything's all the meetings and all of that is secure and that sort of thing. Yeah. A quarter, maybe this is like 60 to 70 percent he's taking. I don't think his uncle was, was helping him out that much, though. No. And his, his conversation with his uncle is quite the conversation. The, um, when he, we discover that he confronts his uncle and they're have they're, they're yelling at each other and his uncle's like, you know, look what all I've done for you. And he's like, look at me. I kill people for money. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God. Sounds bad. Did he ever kill the uncle? No, but he said that's the only time that I've ever really sympathized with my clients. And did he, did he at least give him a good beating or something? Yeah, he pointed a gun at him and was going to shoot him. But then he's like, I'm not getting paid and that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, wow. Yeah, I don't know. It hurt. I don't know. And then he told his uncle, if I ever see you again, I will kill you. And he walked out of the house and he never saw his uncle again until he went to his uncle's funeral. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think his, his uncle died of cancer like 10 years later. What's the name of this book? I think I want to read it for myself. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's called The Name of Death. The Name of Death. Oh, cool. Interesting. Um. Yeah, and then eventually his wife did talk him out of... Um, so he retired? Uh, yeah, he retired. I think he became a farmer. What he said. <laughs> I just grow potatoes now, guys. And, um, <laughs> and he, then a, um, a reporter contacted him um, before, uh, before he gave up uh, the job. A reporter had contacted him because it was told, if you call this number... At this cert on the on this day at the certain time you will um it'll go to this phone booth and there'll be the most uh, accomplished assassin on the other end of the phone and and he's like well that's a lead I want to follow so mm-hmm. he called the number and he started talking to this guy and this guy wouldn't give him the the his name or anything like that but he's like I want to write a book about you. Mm-hmm. And that went on for a bit. Um, and I think they had been in contact for like seven years. And then during oh, wow. that time, he gave up being an assassin. And that's it's after that that he furnished the name um, Julian Santana. I really don't know if that's like the true name. But the, the nah, I don't think it's the real name. The reporter tells and swears that absolutely that's the real name. I doubt it. Um, but uh, he went and he he um he checked a lot of the stories like did this guy actually get assassinated like um he oh yeah um, i'm sure he did story of um they assassinate he assassinated uh who was it a a leader of a union there was a guy who Mm -hmm. wanted uh, a union leader assassinated and he went and checked that that yeah it checks out just like the assassin said it did um, he went and he checked on one of the communists that was captured and tortured mm-hmm. um, by the military that he said that he captured. And <laughs> this is a funny thing. He's like, yeah, I captured so-and-so. The um, And I really didn't know that guy's name until a few years later. I saw him on TV and, and you know, with his name. Because, like, you know, he goes out. He sees this kid. They capture the kid. He doesn't know the kid's name. They torture him. And then a few years later, he sees that guy on TV. And he's like, oh, that guy. The funny thing is. You know what the kid was doing on TV? Nope. He was being sworn into office. <laughs> uh, 
he had been elected to a position in the Brazilian government. Wow. Yeah. So he goes and he talks to this uh, politician. He's like, hey, when you were working with this communist cell, um, you know, all those years ago mm-hmm. um, and you were captured, there was this guy I met who says that he was one of your captors. And he said they did this and that and they cut your feet with tin cans and they burned you with brands from the fire and that, you know, they caught you in this area and they took you there to this and that did to that and, you know, went through the whole story and the guy's like, well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the man that you were talking to was definitely there. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and he's like, yeah, it was, he said he was a little, he was only a kid at the time. He's like, oh yeah, I remember that kid. He was always standing in the corner. <laughs> I don't know. He was doing this cross signs with his hand. It was pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was muttering like this prayer under his breath the whole time. <laughs> he kept yelling, forgive me, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. I like that story, though. So, wow. it, it's it's interesting to learn about assassins and all of that. Because um, uh, I'm most interested in assassins because of the JFK uh, theory and all of that. Oh, yeah. As so, we all are, I suppose. So, naturally, I wanted to end this with a little bit about JFK. I'm, I'm always game for gay, uh, JFK. <laughs> so, uh... Uh, right. Have you heard of Charles Heston? No, Charles Harrison. Uh, very different person. Uh, no, I don't believe I have. Uh, have you ever heard of the three tramps? Uh, the fellows that were spotted at um the the place where JFK was shot on the same day. <coughs> There's a picture. It's um talking about called- like the Bush area. I think so. I think they were more by the rail cars. Oh, so so by the building, by the by the building in the corner. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, they were uh, would be in front of the destination of the the, you know, oh, the direction the okay. motorcade was heading towards uh-huh. the railroad bridge, right, right. and they're called the three tramps. There was there's a theory that this fella Charles Harrelson, who was a assassin, uh, one of the most famous assassins, uh, and was. Um, he assassinated American politicians was one of those three fellows because the three tramps in the picture, one of them looks very similar to uh, Charles, um, Charles ha- Harrelson. Um, let's see. Yeah. So Charles Harrison, um, there's not actually a whole lot I-, I could find about him, but he, he killed a, a, you know, a few different people for money and it, there's a few different crimes that he's, can, that a lot of people said that he, um, committed that, you know, hasn't quite been traced back to him, but he killed a fella in Texas, uh, and got a, a 15 year sentence, but he hmm. got out early, uh, 10 years early for good behavior while in prison. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> then a, a Texas drug lord hired him, a fellow by the last name of Che Grea, because somebody um, was um, a district judge, federal judge, was going to um, w- was going to be presiding over his case, and this judge was known for handing down um, heavy sentences for drug dealers. Mm. And he did not want to go to jail uh, for a long time, so he had him assassinated. But um, the fella, uh, Charles Harrison, was tracked down and um, captured just after the assassination. Uh, so he's a, a Texas assassin, uh, a politician assassin at the time. See, when was um, – because he, he was let out of jail. When was this? When did he get out of jail? He got out of jail – 
1978. When was JFK assassinated? Uh, he was assassinated in uh, 63. So that would have yeah, been... 63. So he would have been five years prior to that. He would have been when he went to jail. So he would have gone to jail... Um, so yeah, he did his assassination in 1968. Mm-hmm. So the JFK assassination was in, uh, nine, it was in 1663, you said? Yeah, 63. Five years later, he went to jail for being an assassin of a different, um, one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, oh, and because of that, uh, Chagrea was actually acquitted of the assassination. <laughs> And then he entered it. So the thing is, it, um, Charles, the assassin went to jail for assassinating the guy at behest of Chagrea, but Chagrea was not, was, was acquitted for actually being in association with the assassination. And then he entered a witness protection program uh, as a plea bargain with the feds. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Uh, hiring assassins apparently really paid off for him in that situation. Isn't that crazy? One one crime is like, hey, we're sentencing you to jail for being in conspiracy with this man for the murder of this man. You, <laughs> in a different uh, um, trial, you will not go to jail, even though we sentenced. So, you know, it's like they had different mm-hmm. rulings in different cases. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Uh, so he would have been fairly young at the time that he would have that a JFK was assassinated, and it's theorized that the man in the photo of the three tramps uh, that he would be the youngest man, and a fellow named uh, Lo- Lois Gibson, a well-known uh, forensic artist, says that he is one of the three uh, in there. Uh, See, there's a few more things. Okay. I'm looking up a photo. So. So the one in the middle? Um, kind of looks like the youngest one there. I don't know. Okay. So these three fellows were arrested and were brought, uh, the, the three tramps were brought to um, uh, the prison at, in in suspect of being <clears throat> convict, uh, being associated with the assassination. But they were released and the fingerprints and photos of them were lost. How was, convenient. Extremely convenient. So that's why the, the three tramps, as they're known, are extremely <laughs> suspicious when it comes to JFK assassinations. Um, wow. They're... There was a, he also had a connection to Jack Ruby because he, he, um, was, Jack Ruby is known, uh, is, was a member of the, um, gangs in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so was Charles. They both knew a fella who was one of those connectors in a gang society, you know, where the fella's like, mm-hmm. hey, I got a fella who might be able to do what you need him to do. Right. They both, um, knew the same fella. So, so that, it, they had a mutual contact. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I haven't heard of this guy before. So it's it's kind of interesting that this Charles um and then the Charles Histons later in his life uh claimed that he killed JFK when he was in a particularly difficult uh he it says that he was in a standoff. I can't find like too much information about this standoff that they were in, but apparently he was in a standoff with police, I think as 
as he was trying to escape a jail is my understanding and he was afraid that they were going to kill him so he was you know yelling don't kill me i killed J- jfk and i will do um uh, and you don't want to kill me because i know the truth or something like that uh, but then later um after he was arrested and he put on trial uh his uh somebody the a lawyer from the gang that he worked with said um well that that was all nonsense he didn't actually <laughs> kill jfk you know the the same gang that um related with uh jack ruby <laughs> the same gang that uh yeah anyway so apparently uh that's obviously not what happened right so it's, it's just interesting that it seems as though the hitman for people like um presidents and kings and other high politicians are generally caught if you assassinate a king a president that sort of thing if you're the hitman you generally go down so but you're just like a fall man for like the people who hired you. You're expendable at that point. Mm-hmm. So the the extremely expensive and extremely successful assassins are not the assassins that are sent after the highest targets. They hire the lower down folks, the expendable ones, to go after the, the high value targets. Because they're like, yeah, you're going to get caught and you're going to die. So, right. So if that's the case. It's interesting. Yeah, so if if he is in conjunction with the JFK assassination, do you think that it means that like Lee Harvey Oswald would have been in there or would have would have not been associated? Because like uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was killed, mm-hmm. and then Jack Ruby was then uh, taken to prison, and then right before his retrial, he died mysteriously of a heart attack <laughs> that. No, no, no. He died of a brain tumor that had not been diagnosed um, until like months prior. Like, mm-hmm. and in the hospital was the same hospital that JFK died in, and that um, uh, Oswald died in, because Oswald did not die after uh, uh, um, Jack Ruby shot him. He went to the hospital and died there later. And then, yeah, uh, and then I guess JFK did not die at that hospital. He died in the motorcade, but he was taken to that hospital where he was pronounced dead. Right. And then the uh, the theory is that his corpse was. Uh, altered to make the shot look like it came from somewhere else or something like that. But overall, it would seem as though if you're looking for the assassination of a president or that sort of thing, this is the main takeaway from today's podcast. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at assassination of just like a regular fella, and then it's, then you might um, have to deal with like a professional hitman. If you're looking at the assassination of a politician, what you're probably looking at is a knife that is not connected to the hilt that just slides off of the hilt once it's stabbed and the blade is left in the wound. You know, that's sort of an assassin. <laughs> the the bumblebee assassin. Sure. The sting and the bee dies. So that it's just, um, I, I think it's interesting to study assassins as a conspiracy theorist because it, it you start, it's important to know patterns before you start looking for other patterns, you know? Mm-hmm. It, if you know how an assassin works, it's good to know uh, that so you can recognize those patterns later on. And it's important to know when certain assassinations are just extreme outliers, like the JFK where the official story is this guy who had pretty much uh, a, a kind of checkered background, but overall 
um, had no reason to go after JFK personally, just out of the blue shoots him and then dies. Kind of a kind of mm-hmm. an outlier there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's why I think learning patterns is important. Yes, oh, indeed. Oh, one final thing. Mm-hmm. If you want to see an interesting assassination, there was the assassination of a fella. Um, he was the president of Egypt. Uh, the way that he was a, um, a military dictator. And you know how the dictators like their military parades? Yes. They have all the guys marching by and the yeah. tanks and that scene. There was an assassination where there was a, one of these um, parades <laughs> that was going to take place. And what they did is the people who were assassinating him snuck into the parade. They, there was like, uh, I think, four of them in the back of this truck. Mm. And they stopped the truck right in front of the 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 box uh, as they were going by where the uh, dictator was and they started chucking grenades into the stand and that's how that assassination went. Oh my God. (laughs) So it's kind of a dramatic way to do it. Yeah. They, they had that and I think they had a machine gun or they were, or maybe they were just using regular rifles on full auto. I think maybe it was just regular rifles on full auto. I know that the grenades did not do as quite as well as they had hoped. They had some pretty lousy grenades. Like of the, I think five grenades they threw, like all but two were duds, and one of those fell short. It was <laughs> pretty lousy. Wow. When have you ever heard of a grenade dud before? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really heard much of that. Yeah, hmm. grenades are generally fairly reliable. They're kind of expensive, and people want them to go bang yeah, reliably. Yeah. the The fact that the guy had three duds out of his five grenades tells me he doesn't take very good care of his grenades, or he needs to get a new dealer or something. Maybe they're just old. They could have been old, uh, depending on what type they were. They could have been actually had um, a powdered propellant similar to gunpowder inside of them, mm. and their powder <clears throat> could have gotten wet. Um, there's, there's a ton of different ways that the grenade could become a dud, but it's very rare. Interesting. Was that recently? When did that happen? Uh, I think that happened in the 80s. Man, the 80s was just the time for all that stuff to happen, huh? Uh, so it was... Uh, it occurred on October 6, uh, 1981, the assassination of Antoar Sedit, the president of Egypt, was assassinated during the annual parade held in Cairo to celebrate Operation Badr, which during the Egyptian army had crossed the Suez Canal and had taken over a small part of the Sinai Peninsula from Israel at the beginning of the Yom Kippur War. That is... um. Interesting. Kind of a weird celebration. It's like, yeah, this right here is a parade to celebrate that one time that we crossed a river and captured this teeny tiny bit of this teeny tiny peninsula. Because if you look at the Middle East, like if you were to take the state of Texas and stick it right in the middle of the Middle East, the panhandle would stretch all the way up to Turkey and the tail end of it would stretch all the way down into Saudi Arabia. And the... the, um, El Paso section of it would extend all the way to Egypt and the Dallas area of it would extend all the way almost to Iran. So the Middle East, uh, so say uh, the Sinai Peninsula in this map would fit between, um, probably be about the size of, I don't know, the San San Antonio area. If you were to go like to the far extent of where San Antonio is, like almost to like, I don't know, Bernie down to like the south part of San Antonio. 
Mm-hmm. That that whole area of San Antonio from like the, the west, east, north, south part of it would be about the whole size of the Sinai Peninsula. So to have a parade that's commemorating that one time that we took a small piece of this area that's about the size of San Antonio, but is pretty much a desert. It's <laughs> 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 a pretty lame parade. And then the guy gets assassinated while watching it. It's like, okay. That's, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. That one time we captured this teeny tiny piece of a desert, this will commemorate a great military victory and somebody throwing grenades at me. <laughs> Jeez. Well, today's been an interesting podcast. Definitely different from uh, other episodes we've done. <laughs> yeah, I think it's closest to our, our Genghis Khan one because the assassins weren't created with that, that group, the... What were they called? <laughs> what? The group I talked about? Yeah, the... Hashashans? Yeah, it didn't start with them. But... I'm sure it didn't, but they're probably the first recognized organization of assassins, I would say. Right. Yeah, they're one of them, and it's probably where a lot of the, the name started. Hashashans, probably somehow the H got dropped, and it's just... Assassins. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming that it may be like the first extremely organized group or something like that, you know, but I forgot where I was going with this. I don't know. They weren't the first group, but they were a memorable uh, perfectors of it. I don't know. <laughs> Fridays is political assassins and uh, ooh, Thursdays is afternoon tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But that was a good story. I like that story that you told. Well... I suppose we are out of time. So, thank you for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. If uh, you want to email us for any reason at all, you can do it at bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That's one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Conrad. It is important to hold your friends, no, hold your enemies, no, keep, what's the saying? Oh, uh, keep, keep your enemies, keep your enemies. Now, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. I, I don't know. Something like that? I, I think it might be the other way around. Maybe watch your watch your enemies, but watch your enemy, your friends even close. I don't know. I don't know. Some 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 other quote about friends and enemies. Have and your friends and enemies in the same room while you struggle with your faith. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, and we'll see you in the next 